If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be hanging out. If you don't know where that is, turn your Bible upside down and start backwards. Because after you get past Revelation, after you get past 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, after you get past Jude, you're going to find yourself just about five books into the back of your Bible in 2 Peter. It's a short book, only three chapters. And we're in 2 Peter tonight in week three of a series this month called goals. Here's our spiritual goal for you this year. We want to try to help you discover God's purpose for your life. So take the notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along, fire up your Journey Church International app and pop open those sermon notes. So everything on the screens will be in your handheld device. If you're joining us through the online experience, thanks for hanging out with us from wherever you are. We're trying to figure out how to leverage every message this month to help you discover God's purpose for your life. Today, our textbook is the book of 2 Peter. Let me give you some quick thoughts on 2 Peter. It was written by the apostle Peter, who was named Simon Peter, in the final year of his life from a prison in Rome. History tells us that around AD 67, Peter was put in prison because of his testimony of Jesus when he would not recant. They killed his wife and his children in front of him. And then the next day when he continued not to recant, they were going to crucify him. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die the same way as Jesus. So if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. And church history tells us that's how he would die. This would be the last letter he would write before he would die. Second Peter was written as his last will and testament. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter 1.15, he said, I'm writing you all these things because I'm getting ready to die. And I need you to know them before I leave. And he wrote this book to move the church to a knowledge of Christ. The word knowledge in its Greek form is found 16 times in these three chapters. This book is all about you and I having a knowledge of who Jesus is because Peter said a knowledge of Jesus would do two things for us. One, it would produce the spiritual character that Jesus desired in his followers. He said you can't be who Jesus wants you to be unless you know what Jesus wants you to know. But it also would protect the early Christians from dangerous heresies that were trying to move the church from the teaching of scriptures, basically saying Jesus loved you, but after that, nothing else mattered. Peter said that is not true. A knowledge of Christ is a knowledge of the scriptures. A knowledge of the scriptures is a knowledge of Christ. And only when those two things come together can you really move forward in your pursuit of who Jesus is. So that's what we're trying to do. Today, Second Peter is going to be our guidebook for how to discover God's purpose for our lives, can we ask that God would speak to us through our words? Anytime the word of God is read to the people of God, the spirit of God has a chance to plant powerful seeds in our heart if we ask him to. So would you bow your heads quickly and would you just pray this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you and would you tell him you'll be listening? The word of God has power for the people of God when we are open to the spirit of God. So God, we're going to read your word through your spirit, speak to our hearts Show us what you want us to see. Tell us what you want us to hear. Teach us how to grow as we pursue a knowledge of Jesus. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to go through verse 8. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace And peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, 
He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we try to discover God's purpose for our lives this week, we look into Second Peter and we learn what Peter has to say today about how we can know Jesus and live for Jesus and fulfill God's purpose to our life. And there's two important thoughts that we need to see and then eight measurements we can take of our life to see how we're doing. What, what is the speed limit of our Christianity? How would we grade ourselves according to what Peter says, kind of discovering God's purpose and leaning into it looks like? Let's look at those two things. The first thought is this. It's only through Jesus that we receive faith. It's only through Jesus that we receive a spiritual nature. Peter wants us to know that everything starts with our relationship with Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we receive faith. It's only through Jesus that we receive a spiritual nature. Look who this letter was written to and how Peter described them in the second part of verse 1. 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, here's who this letter is written to. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. If you have faith in Jesus, it's because it was given to you. You received it through Jesus. Peter said, I'm writing to Christians, and those are people who have received faith. Those are people who God has given faith to through Jesus. Faith is something we receive. You say, how? Through the righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness is a pretty big spiritual word. It means right standing with God. Righteousness means connected to God. That's what righteousness means. Peter said, I'm writing to people who are connected to God because they're connected to Jesus. I'm writing to people who are connected to God because they are connected to Jesus. I'm writing to people who have received the gift of being connected to God. They've received the gift of righteousness, having a right standing with God because they have put their faith in Jesus. So let me ask you, Peter said, I'm writing to people connected to God because they're connected to Jesus. How has your connection to Jesus gone this week? If you were to rank it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, I had a great week of being connected to Jesus. One being, I kind of ran everything but Jesus this week. How would you rate this week your connection to Jesus? Because Peter said, I'm writing this letter to people who are connected to God because they're connected to Jesus and he lived this perfect life that allows you to be connected to God. I don't think any of us would claim to be perfect spiritually this week. Certainly none of us would claim to be as perfect as Jesus, as right before God as Jesus was and as Jesus is. But I think a lot of us who are Christians would say, I am connected to God because of Jesus. And I actually think I, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm more spiritual now than I used to be because of Jesus. But Peter said that only comes through Jesus. Look at verses 3 and 4. He said we can only be connected to God through Jesus. He is who gives us faith, but he also is the one who gives us a spiritual nature. He said it was Jesus' divine power that's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and his goodness. Through these, 
He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. If you have your pen, underline or circle these words, divine nature. Peter says you now have a divine, the word divine means godly, you now have a godly nature. You now have a spiritual nature because Jesus has given it to you. He's, he's given you the opportunity to connect to God through faith in him. But when you did that, he has put some spiritual things in you. Left to ourselves, according to Peter, all of our desires would be corrupted by the world. Left to ourselves, all of our desires would be for ourselves. Left to ourselves, all of our desires ultimately would be evil. They would run away from Jesus instead of towards Jesus. But Peter said, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you now have this spiritual nature that even when you are running the opposite way of Jesus, there's something in your head whispering, turn around. Even if you are walking towards Jesus, there's something in your head that says, start jogging. Even if you are jogging towards Jesus, there's something in your spirit saying, run towards Jesus. There's this divine nature, this spiritual nature in us now because of Jesus that's constantly calling us to run towards God. And all of that is because of Jesus. We've said every week in this series, if we want to discover God's purpose for our life, We must deeply discover God's person for our life, and his name is Jesus. We receive faith in God through Jesus. We can connect to God by connecting through Jesus. How's that going for you this week? We receive a divine nature. We receive messages on the inside of our spirit that now say run towards God, not away from God because of Jesus. Our DNA is changed spiritually because of Jesus. The first week of this series, I gave you 10 commitments to consider that might help you to connect to Jesus. So what commitments did you choose and how are those going? On January 20th of 2019, do you have a better plan this year to be connected to Jesus than you did last year? Because if you have put your faith in Jesus, there's now this divine spirit, this spiritual nature in you saying, walk faster towards Jesus. If you're walking fast, jog towards Jesus. If you're jogging towards Jesus, run towards Jesus. If you've got a pretty good run going on, sprint towards Jesus. There's this divine nature if you're a Christian that is constantly screaming in your ear, run towards Jesus. Thought number one, it's only through Jesus that we receive faith and we receive a spiritual nature that connects us to God and then draws us towards God. But here's thought number two, our response to this. Our response to what Jesus has done for us should be to grow up spiritually. It's only through Jesus that we receive faith. It's only through Jesus that we receive a spiritual nature. But once we really learn these things, our response to those truths should be to grow up spiritually. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing up spiritually? If last year you were in 10th grade spiritually, are you in 11th grade this year or are you repeating last year? If five years ago, let's say it this way, if the year you became a Christian, whatever year that was, you started kindergarten spiritually, have you made it to first grade? Are you growing up in your faith? Are you maturing in your faith? Because the apostle Peter tells us once we understand what Jesus has done, our response to that is, let's go. I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to grow up spiritually. Look at 2 Peter 1, 5. Peter says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. 
If you have a pen or a highlighter, you might circle this word add. Make sure to add to your faith. Peter's saying, hey, when you raised your hand, that, that step of faith that you took, that was awesome. But for these reasons, what reasons? Because Jesus connects you to God, that should motivate you to get closer to God. Do more than just have faith. For this very reason, what reason? Because Jesus gave you a spiritual nature and he helped every thought of your life not be about you and he helped the end result of every thought of your life not be evil because Jesus has put a little bit of himself in you. Because of that, let's move beyond just having faith. Our response to what Jesus has done should be to grow up spiritually. And here's what you need to understand. I'm going to say something that you may have never heard before. I'm going to say something that was never told to me growing up spiritually. To me, it's been a, it's been a powerful theological truth for me. We aren't required to grow spiritually in order to earn our salvation. We're not re- required to grow in order to keep our salvation That would mean that our salvation depends on us. That would mean we could take credit for it. That would mean that we could feel good about it. That would mean we could look down on others because of what we've done. That's not how it works. We're not required to grow in order to keep or earn our salvation. But our response to Jesus, when we understand who he is and what he did, our response to Jesus should be to have this deep desire and commitment to grow spiritually. It's not what saves you. It's not what gets you to heaven. It's not what gets you closer in line in heaven. It's not what gives you a fast pass to heaven. It's not required. Some people, like me, were raised being told if they did all these things, they would be a better Christian than other people were and that they could keep their salvation. They wouldn't lose their salvation. So it became, at first, a fearful thing to think you could lose your salvation, but then a very prideful thing to think, I'm really good at Christianity. That's not the way it works. You're not required. Jesus doesn't say you're saved. Now you have to do these 20 things. Now you have to keep these 19 spiritual commitments this year. You can't be saved anymore. That's not the way it works. But because we learn who Jesus is, we say our response, "I, I want more of that. I want more of him. I need more of him. Our response is to grow. Remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? It says that we who are weak... He'll make strong. It doesn't say people who read their Bible every day will be strong. It doesn't say people who are in a small group will be strong. It doesn't say people who tithe will be strong. Jesus makes you strong. You're always weak. Jesus makes you strong. But our response to knowing that should be, well, then I need more of him. I want more of him in my life. It's not a requirement. It's a response. Spiritual growth should be our reality. Because his love for us has left us with a desire to know him. And a desire to be more like him. And this is probably a better gauge of your Christianity. Not whether you are growing, but whether you desire to grow. That's actually a good gauge of whether or not you're really a Christian. Do you desire to grow? Not are you perfect. Not have you got it all figured out. Not have you conquered every temptation of your past. Not how many days a year are you reading your Bible. Your desire, this spiritual nature in you, the reality of that presence is a real good indicator That Jesus is in you and he's trying to push you towards who God wants you to be. And this desire is a really good test from our heart to tell us whether or not Jesus is really in us and pushing us forward. A great theologian by the name of Kenneth Wiest, who was an expert on the Greek New Testament, said when you put this text together, here's what you learn about Christianity. Listen to this. The divine nature is not an automatic 
self-propelling machine that will turn out a Christian life for the believer irrespective of what that believer does or the attitude he takes to the salvation which God has provided. The divine nature will always produce a change in the life of the sinner who receives the Lord as Lord Jesus as Savior, but it works at its best efficiency when the believer cooperates with it, not only determining to live a life pleasing to God, but definitely stepping out in faith and living that life in dependence upon the new life which God has implanted in him or her. And this must not be a mere lackadaisical attempt at doing God's will. It must be an intense effort. We said what Peter is saying is that you don't just give your life to God and then he does everything. You give your life to God and then what he does for you puts this desire in you for you to do something too. But it's not even you that has the motivation. It's the spirit of God in you giving you the motivation. But it becomes not this partnership of salvation, but there certainly is an effort involved in growth. Your response for what Jesus has done has been to say, I want to push deeper. I I, I want to grow deeper. I want to grow closer. And it can't be a lackadaisical effort. You got to work hard to know Jesus. That was the message of last week's, that was the title of last week's message. Work hard to know Jesus. Jesus gives us faith. Jesus gives us a connection to God. Jesus leaves us, though, with some responsibility for our faith and our growing up spiritually. You could say, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, this. Jesus gives us the ability to grow spiritually. However, we have to take action for our spiritual additions. It's Jesus that plants the desire in us. He gives us the spiritual nature so we can. But then he says, go. You have to take action to add to your faith. You are responsible for the additions. This letter is so much more rich in the original language that it was written in, a language we call Koine Greek or Common Greek. It was the English of its day. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which meant that that this would have been spoken and known almost over the entire educated world. So Peter writes this letter, and in Koine Greek, what he says is a much more powerful picture of adding to your faith than what we just read in our English Bible. Let me give you a few pictures of it. In verse 5, Peter says, add to your faith. For this reason, because Jesus connects you to God, add to your faith. For this reason, because Jesus gives you a spiritual nature, add to your faith. The word add to your faith is one Greek word. It's epochoriagio. Epo, epochoriagio. It means in ancient literature to provide for a chorus. It's a word we get chorus or choir from. It means to provide for a chorus. It means to provide more than is barely demanded. Let me give you the picture that Peter's readers would have seen when Peter said, add to your faith. In ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, people would not go to the AMC theater. They would not go to the B&B theater. They would not go to high school football games. They would not watch Netflix. They would go to the theater in their town every weekend. This theater would be this little play on this little stage, kind of acted, acted out the, the great writings of the time, the, the great kind of epic plays of the Greek and Roman gods. That's what they would be. But if you really wanted to spice up your town's theater, you would add a choir that would sing while people were coming in, that would sing during interludes, that would sing during the big moments of the play, that would sing at the intermissions, that would sing while people were leaving. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't even a part of the play. But in Greek culture, they would go to the richest guy in town. They would go to the guy who was willing to waste money, and they would say, hey, would you provide a choir for this? 
Would you help us go way above and beyond what people are expecting? Would you help us go so far above and beyond what people are expecting when they get there? Would you, would you by providing a chorus, would you make this thing extravagant for us? So when Peter says, add to your faith, Peter is saying, would you be willing to do more than is barely required of you spiritually? I mean, would you be willing to do more than what will just get you to heaven? Would you be the guy in town that people come to who's moving from a position of what do I have to do spiritually to what can I do spiritually? Would you provide for a chorus? It's not a math word. It's a musical theater word. And Peter says it's time for people in the church to stop asking what do I have to do to be close to Jesus? It's time for people to start asking what do I get to do? In order to serve Jesus. It's time for people to start asking. What else can I do? I know I'm doing a lot. Is there anything more that I can do. To do more than is barely demanded in my faith. I don't just want to go to heaven. I want to carry bags of spiritual rewards. And experiences with me. What else can I do? That's the word that Peter's using. And he's saying this in verse 8. He says if you will give more than is barely demanded. In your faith pursuit. He said you will grow in increasing measure. You will grow in increasing measure. It's the Greek word pleonazo, which means to overflow. Peter said, if you will choose not just to take in, but to take in so much. If you will choose to take in more than you can take in, what will happen is you will overflow. And your faith will not just impact you. Your faith will actually get all over other people. Your faith will spill over and splash onto anyone who's close to you. Your faith is going to touch your spouse. Your faith is going to touch your kids. Your faith is going to touch your business. Your faith is going to touch your neighbors. Your faith is going to touch your community. Your faith is going to touch the people who lock her next to you at school and sit in math class and sit at the cafeteria. Like if you will, if you will do more than is demanded... God will give you more than you can carry. And as it spills out of you, it's going to touch everyone that you're touching. That's the picture of Christianity that Peter wanted people to have because he said overflowing faith will keep you from becoming, at the end of verse 8, ineffective. It's the Greek word argos. This Greek word literally means something that's not working or something that is idle. Peter says if you will do more than is demanded... Your faith will have impact on more than just you, and it will keep you from simply never moving spiritually. It'll keep you from raising your hand, saying a prayer, starting kindergarten, but repeating it 13 years in a row, 25 times in a row, 30 times in a row. It'll keep you from just not moving. It'll keep your faith from feeling like it doesn't work. It'll keep people from looking at you and thinking you've never moved spiritually. So let's stop and evaluate our faith according to this picture. Ask yourself, are you providing a course for your faith? Are you doing more than is barely demanded of your faith? Have you at any point in the past moved from, what do I, do, what do I have to do spiritually? Here, here's the question as a youth pastor for 10 years that I got. What do I have to do to make sure I don't go to hell? And we laugh when we think a teenager's asking that, but that is why most people initially place their faith in Jesus. They don't want to go to hell. And a lot of people live right there. What do I have to do in order to not go to hell? Well, step over this line of salvation. And it's like, all right, and we will step over the line of salvation, but make sure hell is still close enough that we can reach back every now and then. That's what a lot of people do spiritually. Are you moving from, what do I have to do spiritually not to go to hell, to what, what, what can I do spiritually to feel like I'm in heaven, to what else can I do spiritually 
to help other people experience what I am. I'm, like, where are you? On, on that grid, where are you? That's the picture that Peter's drawing. That's the question he's asking. Will you provide more than a chorus? Will you give more than is barely demanded? Will you give more than is barely needed? Is your hope to do more than just get to heaven? Is your, church, is your hope to experience heaven on earth? Is your hope more than just to be forgiven by Jesus? Is your hope to know Jesus, to be friends with Jesus, to be close to Jesus? Evaluate that in your own faith life. Some of you are moving in the wrong direction. You became a Christian and you jumped so far over the line. You said, what, what can I do to not go to hell? And then you said, what can I do to live like I'm in heaven? And then you said, what else can I do? And you started running. And then somehow you've kind of worked your way back to, well, you know, I'm still going to go to heaven. But you've stopped in the progression of passion for Jesus. Where would you say you are? Let me ask you another question. Number two, is your faith overflowing? Getting all over everything and everyone in your life? Is your faith overflowing? And just getting all over everyone and everything in your life. It's leaking into your marriage. Because you can't hold it all. It's leaking into your parenting. Because you can't contain it all. It's leaking into work. Because you just take in too much that you, then you can carry. Is it leaking into where you live? Is it leaking into where you play? That's what Peter is asking you. Is it overflowing? And then he's asking number three. Do we and others look at our faith life. And think this, I don't think it's working. Do other people who've heard that you've become a Christian and given your life to Jesus look at you during the week and think, I don't think it's working. Because I knew them before they gave their life to Jesus. They seem like the same person to me. I don't think it's working. Would anyone in here or anyone in your life look at your life and say, spiritually, you look idle. You don't look like you're moving anywhere. You're not really going backwards, but you're certainly not moving forward like... You're in the same place that, that, like, you've always been. It's funny, Danielle and I were driving home after the massive snowstorm last week. And there were all these great snowmen made in people's yards because it was just great snow to make snowmen. And it was warm so kids could play outside. And for the next few days, even as some snowmen started to kind of melt a little bit, there was this one little one that had been set up, like, right by the edge of the road. That, like, every time we drove by, I'm like, man, like, that snow, like... I don't think that snowman's ever going to melt. And eventually I put on my brights as I was going by it, and I realized it was a fire hydrant. Like it, like it had some snow on it. Like it had been iced over, and I laughed at Danielle, and I was like, remember that snowman that I told you looked like that little snowman in that movie that never moves? It's a fire hydrant. Like I don't think it's going to move. Some of you spiritually look like a fire hydrant. You are where you are, and you haven't moved anywhere. And people are driving by your life. They're trying to figure out if you've turned into a statue because you're always in the exact same spot. Would you or anyone else look at your life and say, I don't think it works. They appear to be stuck. Doesn't, they don't appear to, be, appear to be moving. I don't know which category you fall into. I believe I know which category you want to be in. I believe you, like me, want to say, what can I do? What else can I do? I, I want to grow. I think you want to grow. Say, how do we do that? Peter tells us what to add. And here's the picture that he gives us. Picture this in your head if you can. He gives us a picture of eight buckets that are hanging one on top of another. The top one would be labeled faith. The bottom one would be labeled love. Each one's a little bigger than the one right above it. And there's only one faucet above all these buckets. It would be like a champagne fountain if you've ever seen one of those 
Or if you're a Baptist or a Nazarene like me, it would be like a chocolate fountain. Like if you don't drink alcohol, it's like, shouldn't say that in church. Like, listen, I, I don't drink. I'm just trying to draw a picture in your head. Like fill one and it kind of fills the other. You get what I'm saying, right? You understand where, where I'm going with that? Peter says this is how spiritual growth works. And here's what he says. Extravagant, overflowing, impactful spiritual growth progresses this way. Let's walk through these eight. He says, start with faith. And Peter says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill up your faith bucket every day. Because if every day you will fill up your faith bucket to overflowing, it's, it, the, the, the part that splashes out, like every day if you will fill up your faith bucket to the part that overflows, the part that overflows is going to splash into a bucket called goodness. The part that overflows is going to change the actions of your life. If you will just every day pour into your faith bucket, eventually your faith bucket is going to leak into the next bucket and you're going to have some goodness. The actions of your life are going to change. And as that goodness bucket fills up, go to number two. If you really begin to fill up your life with the goodness of who Jesus is, if you begin to fill up your life with the actions that Jesus wants you to have, if every day you're just living a little more the actions that Jesus wants you to have, those are going to fill up so much in your life that it's going to begin to splash out. And what's going to happen is by working on changing the way that you live, eventually if you fill that up, that's going to leak into a bucket called knowledge and you're going to begin to actually change the way you think. If you just turn on the faucet and fill up your faith every day, eventually that faith is going to overflow into your actions and your actions are going to change. And if you begin to live a life with different actions, you're going to experience life differently and you're actually going to begin to change the way you think. And if you will begin to change the way you think, you're going to begin to experience this knowledge. And if you will work every day on filling up with the knowledge not only of who Jesus is, but what life is following Jesus, what life teaches you trying to live like Jesus, you're going to fill up your mind with the teachings of Jesus, and it's actually going to change not just what you know, it's not just going to change how you live, but it's going to change specifically how you react in difficult moments. It's going to flip something inside of you, a switch called number four, self-control. If you just every day will work to fill up your faith, eventually that's going to that's gonna fall over, overflow into goodness, and you're going to change your actions. And if you live long enough with different actions, all of a sudden you're going to begin to think differently. You're going to see things differently. And part of the things you'll see differently is how to react during difficult moments. You're going to develop self-control. And if you will begin day after day, week after week, month after month, filling up your difficult moments with the Spirit of God, it's going to eventually... Change the way you respond, not to difficult moments, but to difficult seasons. You see, self-control allows you to have a good Monday. When we keep going down the line, perseverance allows you to have a good decade in your 30s, even when life is difficult. You see the progression here that Jesus is walking through as, as we just try to pour a little faith into our life every day, all of a sudden it begins to change our actions. As our actions begin to change, all of a sudden the way we see life and think begins to change. And even when the difficult things come into our life, we're able to have some self-control. And when we have self-control 10 times in a row, all of a sudden we realize that our life can be changed and we can live with perseverance. Like long-term, these seasons can be lived trusting God even when it seems like nothing is going right because self-control has become so mastered that it's like splashed out into this new habit called perseverance. And if we will begin to fill up every season of our life, the good ones and the bad ones, with this spirit of hope, 
Perseverance. We, we're going to make it. This spirit of hope. Eventually, it's going to change your very spiritual nature. And you're going to end up being someone people look at and say, you know what? They're really godly. They're really godly. They have become a really godly person. They're unshakable. In the good, they don't get too high. They don't take credit for it all. In the bad, they don't get too low. They don't blame God for it all. Like they've poured so much into their daily faith life that it changed who they were. It changed the way they thought. It changed the way they reacted even to the worst moments. It changed how they lived with hope even during the most difficult seasons. Oh my gosh, this person now begins to look like Jesus. They are a godly person. All of a sudden, the spiritual nature begins to run your life. And if you every day will fill up your spiritual nature with godliness, it'll change the way you start caring about others because God cares deeply for other people. And if you allow your godliness bucket to get full, when it begins to leak, here's what others see. Number seven, they see mutual affection. They begin to see you caring about people. They begin to see you letting other people in. They begin to see you sharing your lives with other people. When you fill up your life enough with godliness, it begins to impact everyone around you. And when you begin to fill up your life with caring for others, it's going to result in a life and a reputation for love. And number eight, love is what Jesus said his true disciples would have. Love, having a life filled with love for God and love for others, that's going to identify you as one of Jesus' true disciples. At least that's what he said in John 13, 35, where Jesus told his disciples, by this, everyone's going to know that you're mine if you love one another. You say, how do we get there? Every day, you got to turn on the faucet of faith. Every day, you got to fill up your faith. You say, how full? Till it leaks. Leaks over into goodness. So how, how much goodness do I have to have? You, you got to fill it up to overflowing till it leaks. Because when goodness begins to leak, it'll leak into knowledge. You say, well, how much knowledge do I have to have? Just enough to begin to leak into the difficult moments of your life. So how many difficult moments of my life do I have to get right? Enough that you have hope in difficult seasons. You have perseverance. How much perseverance do I have to have? Enough that you begin to live with this godliness, this connection to God that Shows everyone that you don't only love God, but you love them. You have mutual affection. And all of a sudden, you're the Jesus guy. You're the Jesus girl. And here's why people know it. Because of how you love God and how you love them. It's not a difficult process. It's just one that demands that every day you turn on the faucet of faith and you fill up to overflowing. This week's challenge is two things for you spiritually. Step one is this. Find the bucket in your life that's empty. Because it will help you find the bucket that's not overflowing. Find the bucket of your life that's empty. And you'll find the one that's not overflowing. Say, how do you do that? Go to these eight things and circle the one you don't think people see in your life every day. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control. Perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Which one in your life isn't full? Which one in your life isn't full to the point of spilling on everyone else? Because if you can find that one, you can know that the bucket right above that is not full enough. You say, well, I'm struggling with godliness. No, you're not. You're actually struggling with perseverance. Because when you get perseverance right, godliness starts getting filled up. See, I'm struggling with perseverance. No, you're not. You're struggling with self-control. Because if self-control fills up, then perseverance starts filling up. See, I'm struggling with self-control. No, you're not. You're struggling with knowledge. 
Because when knowledge fills up to the point of overflowing, you have self-control. You say, I'm struggling with knowledge. No, you're not. You're struggling with goodness. You've not begun to change your actions enough to change the way you think, to understand who Jesus really is. This week on the podcast, we kind of unpack in one scenario. I will teach how forgiveness this week changes all eight of these things. If you don't normally listen to the Activate podcast this week, do it. Because I'll show you how one area of spiritual life can flow bucket to bucket to bucket. Find the bucket that's empty and you'll find the bucket that's not overflowing. And then step two, begin to pour more into your spiritual growth into the first bucket that isn't overflowing. You say, which one's that? There's only one you can pour into, faith. One faucet. You pour into your faith every day, which means you pour into Jesus every day. Read some scripture. Read a devotional. Have a scripture message texted to you. Get in an accountability group. I've given you 19 ways to turn on the faith faucet. Do that. Because Peter says, if you will do that in increasing measure, you will be the Christian who always gives more than is barely demanded. You will be the Christian who other people see and they never think their faith doesn't work. You will be the Christian who is overflowing and touching everybody else. God wants you to grow. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, God wants you to grow. Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, said, listen, I planted the seeds. Apollos, another teacher at their church, watered them, but God makes them grow. Neither the one who plants me nor the one who waters any of your other teachers, those aren't anything, but only God who makes things grow. Listen, you were made to grow spiritually. You were made to grow up spiritually. The righteousness of Jesus is in you. You are connected to God if you're a Christian. The spirit of Jesus is in you. You have a little bit of God in your DNA. If you are connected to Jesus, you just have to add water like a Chia pet. Just add water every day and watch your faith begin to grow up from faith. Faith drips into goodness. Goodness drips into self-control. Self-control drips into perseverance. Perseverance drips into godliness. Godliness drips into mutual affection. Mutual affection drips into love. And everyone sees that you're with Jesus because that's how people see others are with Jesus, the way that they love. Which bucket is empty? Which bucket above it isn't filling up? How can you add to your faith so that they all cascade down into people seeing you the way Jesus wants people to see you? We pray with me as we.